So today is the second Sunday in the Advent season. The Advent season is marked by the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And the title for our series this year is A Weary World Rejoices. Try to say that five times really fast. A Weary World Rejoices. Now, we picked that title not because it's a clever line from a Christmas song, uh, but, but, but on two accounts. One, um, the idea of it, of it capturing the essence of 2020 as a year of weariness, uh, but what we need to do with that weariness as we think about wrapping up this year. So you don't need a 10-minute monologue from me to convince you that this has been a weary year, right? A year marked with, where do we start? Injustices, confrontations, frustrations, anxiety, depression, sadness, turmoil, like we could just go on and on and on, right? It's like I compared it earlier to like a snow globe, you know, those globes that you shake them all up and there's just stuff floating all, and then after a period of time, it all settles to reveal the the object in the globe and you're like, oh, that's so beautiful. But 2020 has been like a snow globe that just hasn't settled, right? Just when we think things are starting to clear up, somebody shakes it again and all turmoil breaks loose and the whole thing goes up in the air. And in the midst of all this, it's really difficult for us to really know what is true. What is true? Where does injustice exist? What is the real story being told in the culture today? I was just thinking, too, about the the rate at which we are manufacturing information right now. I was sharing with my boys um, recently, I don't know if they would remember, the difference between investigative journalism, that form of media, versus social media. And so here's the main difference. Like back when I was your age and somebody came on the news and they gave you an investigative journalistic report, you could bank on that's either true or they're going to lose their job, right? But in our day and time, it's like nobody expects anything to be true, right? The narrative keeps shifting and changing. And, and so the result then, we're pretty much skeptical of anything that we might hear. And that skepticism keeps our hearts from resting, doesn't it? It's like the snow globe that just won't settle, right? The idea of, 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 of our, the division happening, the polarization in politics, all that's just staying in the air. I was talking with one of our members recently about the idea that there's just like an anxiety in the air right now. And I don't mean that like metaphysically, I mean literally. Like the tone of voice of our current culture is edgy, right? Just the edginess about it. There's a, there's a readiness for confrontation in everything that we hear, which, right, transcends even into our own homes, maybe even around some of the conversations you had over Thanksgiving at the dinner table. Maybe that's the tone of the conversations you're having with people you love and who you enjoy spending time with. There's just an edginess in the air. And so the question is, what do we do with that? Are we just destined to look back on 2020 as the year of of anxiety and frustrations, or is there something we can do as Christ followers as we begin to wrap up the year? And ultimately, what we believe is we have ample and sufficient reason to rejoice, despite all the injustices in the world today, despite all that we would look out into the world and declare as being wrong, there is more than enough for the people of God to rejoice. And not only is that there's more than enough reason for that, but that's actually the antidote for our worry, that we would trade in our worry for rejoicing. 
And so this is what we're calling our church to this Christmas season. Um, and we're going to be in Jeremiah 33. I'm going to give you a little context before we get into our verses this morning. So um, at this point in time in the nation of Israel, to say that they were experiencing turmoil uh, and difficulty it would be an understatement. So I'll just give you a few of the big highlights. So at the time that Jeremiah was written, the nation of Israel was actually internally divided, polarization, divided into two kingdoms. You had the kingdom of Judah, the kingdom of Israel. So God's people were divided amongst themselves, but not only that, they had already been overrun by the Assyrians, and then the Assyrians had been overrun by the Babylonians, who were beginning to deport uh, the Israelites now to Babylon. The first wave included like Daniel and his friends, the book of Daniel, Second wave included like Ezekiel, uh, some of those figures. And so this is a really tumultuous time for the nation of Israel. Not, not, Not a lot different from what we're experiencing right now as a nation. And it's in the midst of all this turmoil that God speaks to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. And we'll pick this up in verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord where I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So to start with, that opening word, behold, is a really important word. It means more than, hey, will you look at this? It's actually an invitation to wake up. It's an invitation to to see something that's right in front of your eyes that you didn't formally see. So it's this idea of wake up and look at this. So then we would assume The nation of Israel, in some respects, had gone asleep, had lost sight of some things. Lost sight of what? Evidently, the promises of God. And what God is doing here is he's awakening his people to the promises that he has made. Behold, wake up, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise. So I want to think for a minute about some of the promises that God had made to the nation of Israel. What promises would have come to mind upon hearing this? Well, to, be, to begin with, first of all, the nation was holding on to this promise um, that God would deliver them from captivity and restore them as a nation, much like what he did in the Exodus, right? So God's people in the Exodus, in captivity, and slavery, God sends them Moses to lead them out of that oppression and out of that slavery. That was one of the things they were hoping for, that God would send a Messiah like Moses to lead them out of this captivity out of this oppression. Another thing that God had promised them is that this Messiah would come in the lineage of David. 2 Samuel 7, God tells David himself, I'm going to raise up one of your descendants to sit on your throne forever, to rule as a righteous king. And so the nation of Israel held on to that promise. With every generation after David, they would look to his heirs and look to their heirs, looking for this Messiah to, to, be, to rise up, to spring up and take the lead and lead the nation of Israel out of oppression. And not only that, to bring this nation back together as one nation, one kingdom, one monarchy under the rule and reign of the Messiah. And so they were looking for these things. Another, another, another thing that they were looking for is that the Messiah would come and usher in this era of peace and prosperity. So they couldn't wait. Finally, just some peace. That sounds a lot like what I want, right, at the end of this year. Just let the dust settle for a minute. Let us regroup. Let us rest. Let us experience a month without a, a news headline that, that shakes us to our core. A time of peace and prosperity 
They were also looking forward to this new covenant that God had promised, that this Messiah would usher in a new covenant that would bring the forgiveness of sins, which is what we just celebrated in communion. And then last and certainly not least, that this Messiah would lead to the rebuilding of Jerusalem as a holy city that would never again be destroyed. Now, part of what the nation of Israel was hoping for in these promises was a, was a real-time deliverance on, this, on these promises, that God would deliver on these promises in their lifetime. And so really kind of embedded in these promises is the idea of the now and the not yet. Like there was a real-time need to be delivered, right? A real-time need to be brought back together as, as a nation, a real-time need for somebody to step up and take the lead, somebody they could trust, somebody who wasn't saying one thing to one person and something else to somebody else, right? A leader who could step up and rather than bringing polarity in a divided nation could bring the nation back together. But part of what they were hoping for was still far off. The Messiah that was to come wouldn't be born for another 600 years. And so embedded in these promises was this now and not yet idea from God. And I bring that up to talk about even what Christmas means for us, this, this now and not yet promise from God. That at Christmas, we're celebrating the very birth of this Messiah who has is, who is ushered in the kingdom of God here on earth, earth made manifest in his people. I'm looking at him, the church. I'm looking at the kingdom of God on earth. But there's still a not yet component to that because upon his return, every knee will bow and every tongue will bow confess that Jesus is Lord. And so there is this now and not yet promise associated not only with Jeremiah 33, but with Christmas itself. I really want to focus our time now on verses 15 and 16, because there's a specific aspect of God's promises that he wants his people to think about. He wants his people to be awakened to. He wants his people to, if you will, hang his hat on. And here's what he says in verse 15. In those days, right, looking forward to the not yet, in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. Now, for the people of Israel, they knew exactly what that was. Like, that wording was very familiar to them. They had been praying for this righteous heir, this righteous branch of David to spring up. And so God reminds them, there's a day coming where that's going to happen where a righteous branch will spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be, will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, this, this branch of David that would spring up will bring two things with him, righteousness Injustice. He will execute righteousness and he will execute justice. Now, for the nation of Israel, when they think about God bringing justice to the earth, what they're thinking about is they're thinking about God issuing that justice towards their enemies. They longed for God's justice. They prayed for God's justice. They begged for God's justice. Oh God, please bring your justice. What's interesting about that is their focus was on the enemies of God. Because their understanding of God's justice is that when God would pour out his justice on earth through this Messiah, that it would be, it would be what? It would be pointed at everybody else. 
and they neglected their own injustices that had really been the, kind of the catalyst for their situation to begin with. Their own rebellion against God, their own injustices against the law of God, their own injustices against the holiness of God is what led to this position to begin with. And yet they prayed, oh God, please bring your justice and pour it out on everybody else. See, there's a a difficulty and a parallel between this idea of wanting God's justice here on earth. Much like the nation of Israel, we too forget that the greatest injustices that we see in the world begin right here. They begin within. Our disobedience, our rebellion, our breaking of God's law is a violation. It is an injustice of his holiness. And so it's kind of a two-edged sword to ask for God's justice, isn't it? God, bring your justice, understanding that I too am, am underneath that sentence. I too have acted unjustly in the world. And much like the nation of Israel as Christians today, when we see injustices, we think the same way. It's easy to point your finger at everybody who's messing up. It's easy to ask God, oh God, please bring your justice. Please fix that problem without first doing what? Looking inwardly. Oh God, would you restore? Would you heal? Would you forgive the injustices in my own heart first? And so there is this great dilemma with God just issuing his justice in the world because everyone who is unrighteous is under his wrath. If all God does is pour out his justice, I love you and I don't even know you that well, you're doomed, as am I. Unless God fixes, repairs, heals the brokenness in me, I'm one of his enemies too. I love how this promise is worded to us that this branch that will spring up from David will not only execute justice and righteousness in the land, but in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will, be, will dwell securely. And then, it's, then the promise is this, and this is the name by which it is called, the Lord is our righteousness. Did you catch that wording? It wasn't simply the Lord is righteous. We know he's coming as a righteous judge. We know that when he judges, it's right, it's correct, it's accurate. But not only is he coming to be a righteous judge, he's coming to be our righteousness. That's good news, church. Remember the dilemma? Unless my righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the most holy person on earth, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, I can't get into heaven. And embedded in this Jeremiah 33 promise is this. Christ has come. He has been born as a Messiah into our world to spring up as a branch of David, to unite the kingdom of God together, to lead God's people out of oppression, to usher in God's kingdom here on earth, and to what? To be our righteousness. To be your righteousness. It's not enough to be a good old boy. That won't get you into heaven. It's not enough to be generous at Christmas time. That won't get you into heaven. It's not enough to show up on Sunday and occupy one of the chairs in this building that we call the church. That won't get you into heaven. You need more than that. 
Those are all good things, but you need more. I need more than that. I need to be made perfectly righteous before a holy God. I don't just need to be a better version of myself. I need something altogether different. And this is the promise of Christmas, that our Messiah has come to set God's people free, to unite us as one, one body, one kingdom, one church, and to give to us his righteousness as a gift. Romans chapter three talks about this righteousness from Christ. I wanna read just a few verses. I commend the whole chapter to you. But just a few verses about the righteousness of Christ. Verse 21 says, but now. Now keep in mind, when we were in Jeremiah 33, the, the reference was what? In those days, looking forward. But now Paul is writing saying, hey, it's here. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. That means made visible, made seen, made available apart from the law. What does that mean? Well, here's what that means. You have two options for becoming perfectly righteous. You want option one? Here it is. Obey God's law perfectly. There you go. We're, all, we're done. If that's the only option, we're out. We're sunk, we're shipwrecked, but there's a second option that's been made available apart from the law. That's what Paul's getting at here. Here's what he says. Um, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. That is the essence of the gospel. The righteousness of God through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe and there is no distinction. Man, that's good news. That's, that's the best news you could hear. Paul continues, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. That's what we're celebrating with communion. To be received by faith. This is how God's, how this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, hold on to that thought, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Forgiveness of sins is not God sweeping your mistakes under the rug and pretending like they didn't happen. I know that's how we deal with a lot of the turmoil in our own relationships and family, okay? That's not reconciliation. That's not redemption. God has not taken your sins and went, you know what? Ah, you didn't really mean it. Let's just sweep that under the rug and pretend like it didn't happen. God, if God did that, he would not be just. Your sins and my sins have to be dealt with. There has to be an account given in order for God to be just. Anything less than that, and he's no longer just. So Christ has come to be just. Listen, this is why the, the cross was so brutal, so bloody, so dark even. Christ was taking your place and my place. He was put forth as a propitiation, a payment for our sins so that God could both be just, holding all sin accountable, and the justifier. 
by faith in Christ, he justifies us. He renders us righteous. And this is what Paul is getting at. Now, really this should leave us with two significant things to think about. First of all, any engagement in injustice as a Christ follower should come from a platform of humility, gratefulness, and compassion. Are you with me? Not a place of anger, repaying evil for evil. Not a, not a place of judgmentalism, because I'm understanding what? As I look at injustices through the world, I look at them through the lens of all I've been forgiven of. How in the world could I stand on a platform of arrogance or self-righteousness when I see injustices, whether that's in my neighbor or in a family member or in the world at large? It should compel us to engage in injustices from a platform of compassion, humility, and gratefulness. And then it should call us to interact with people in a very significantly different way. I'm gonna give you a few descriptions of what Jesus calls his people to do. Matthew chapter five, verse 43. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That makes sense. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Not according to Jesus, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How in the world could Jesus call us to love our enemies and pray for people who are out to get us? Here's how. Because he is the just judge. Because vengeance belongs to him, not us. It's not our job to repay evil for evil. It's not our job to hold our enemies accountable. God does that. So we're set free from, listen, the burden of trying to carry vengeance in the world. That is a heavy burden to carry. A, we don't even know what the real story is. So how in the world will we execute justice? Are you with me? B, like in, in, in doing so, like that's weighty, right? So just think about that. Like try to imagine yourself being a, a judge right now in the legal system. Imagine being a Supreme Court judge and how difficult it is to even figure out what the narrative is, let alone make a judgment that, that allows you to sleep at night. Only Christ can carry that burden. Christ followers, we have been set free from the burden of carrying vengeance into the world. It's his to carry. Romans chapter 12, bless those who persecute you. What? That's more than just be nice to them. That means go out of your way to do something for them that is a blessing to them. He's not saying, hey, just try to avoid people who are persecuting you. Keep them out of distance. Don't say anything bad about them. Don't hashtag or add them. No, he's like saying, no, I want you to go out of your way to bless them, to be kind to them, to love them. And then he gives us some tangible ways. If possible, as so far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, um, just show of hands real quick if you consider yourself to be a Christian. It's okay. I mean, we're all, if you, if you okay. If I see you online. I see you in your house. Hey, how are you? So, okay. Okay, then. Here's, here's your instruction. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. I can't do that if vengeance is up to me. I can't do both. I've either got to hold him accountable 
and be vengeful towards him and repay evil for evil or feed him. I can't do both. If, you, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head, which is a misunderstood phrase. That's not a sneaky way to make people feel guilty. That's, that's the kind of the false idea here is, okay, if you'll just be super nice, then they'll feel shamed into feeling guilty, and that's like worse punishment. No, the idea of coals, these heaping coals, I think is the same idea we see in like Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is before the throne room of God, and he is unclean, and he is unworthy, and this angelic being takes these tongs and takes a coal out of the fire and touches his lips to cleanse him of his sins. The idea of this fire is a refinement. The idea that they, they, they too might be refined, recipients of God's grace. And so Christ's follower, that is such a freeing thing, isn't it? To know that vengeance is not yours to carry into the world. Now I wanna read a, a conclusion here because I don't want to mix words or to leave any room for misunderstanding. I am not proposing, and nor do I think Jesus is proposing, that we disengage from injustices. As a matter of fact, I think quite the opposite. I think those who have been recipients of God's grace, who have been forgiven of their injustices, should be the tip of the sword, the frontline warriors of, of injustice in the world. It's the platform from, that we're standing on is what I'm talking about. Let me just read a, a conclusion here that I've written. You may or may not agree with this. The birth of Jesus, Christmas in essence, is our reminder that God is near. That's, that's, that's important. That was important for Jeremiah 33. God has not forgotten you. He's not gone anywhere. He's still here. And not only is he near, he's active, he's present in our sufferings and our injustices. As Christians, we live free from the burden of vengeance because of the birth of Jesus. God promised that the Messiah, this coming Messiah, would come into the world um, to issue both justice and to fulfill the justice of God towards us. There is no, I'm gonna slow down on this one, and please hear these words. There is no political platform nor philosophical path forward known to man that will result in true justice outside of the return of Christ. Engage in injustices, social or otherwise. As an image bearer, as a representative of God's grace, God's hope. Not under the false pretense that you're going to solve the problem. Our ultimate hope rests in the not yet, the return of Christ. This doesn't mean that we don't care for the oppressed and that we don't engage in social injustices as his image bearers, we're called to engage in the social injustices of our world, but to do so from a platform of compassion, humility, and gratefulness, not from a platform of vengeance or hate. As we start to wrap up 2020, let's call one another to a time of rejoicing. Not because the world is fixed and everything is suddenly a perfect utopia, but let's call one another to rejoice in Jesus, the one who has set us free, first from our injustices and second from the burden of carrying vengeance into the world. He will come back, he will return, he will hold all accountable. And upon his return, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, period. As his image bears, 
Let's be on the front line of injustices. Let's be on the front line of speaking up on behalf of the oppressed. Let's do so from a platform of humility. That should change the language in our social media. It should. It should change the dialogue that you're having with coworkers and family members. It should change the tone. We talked about the tone of voice of our culture of anxiousness and anxiety and tension and edginess. Think about the snow globe. When all the the snow and the snow globe settles, we're left with this beautiful image, right? Presumably. (laughs) Snowman, a little city, something there worth seeing. Listen, Christians, we in this world of chaos are to be that constant image in the snow globe that doesn't change. As everything is just swirling around us, anxiousness and fear and lack of trust and all these things that you're witnessing that will swirl around in the globe of our culture, right? Our hope in Jesus is to be that constant. Our joy in Jesus is to be that constant that doesn't change. And when everything settles, right, that's, what, that's what's left is this beautiful picture pointing towards Christ. And so often we get caught up in the chaos, don't we? We're swirling around, right? Rather than being that constant image bearer and reflection of the hope we have in Christ. So I wanna leave you with that today. I'm actually gonna ask a, a couple of questions for you to consider. I want you to think for just a minute about your 2020. And I'm willing to bet that something happened this year that you're passionate about. Okay? Some injustice, something, some conversation is happening out there in the universe that you are passionate about. How has your passion for those injustices impeded on your joy this year, kept you from experiencing joy? I'm not asking you to not be passionate. I'm just asking you, have any of those things that you're passionate about impeded on, interrupted your joy and your peace? Second of all, I'll just ask you to think about this. What injustices in your heart has God forgiven? Before we start thinking about everybody else and what everybody else is doing wrong, I just want you to think about that. I wanna think about that. Christmas is a great time to think about what injustices in my heart has Christ forgiven? And then just lastly, would would leave you and I with this to think about how does the justice of Jesus set you and I free to experience joy even though there are many worldly injustices around us that have not been resolved? While we wait in the not yet, How does the justice of Jesus set you free to rejoice? And so this is gonna be our focus as we wrap up 2020. We're gonna call one another to rejoice in all that we have in Christ. The constant image in the snow globe that hasn't changed despite the whirlwind of anxiety floating around. I'm gonna pray to that end now with you and invite you to pray with me. Um, If you're here today and God's calling you to a next step, encourage you to grab the next step card in front of you, fill that out, drop it in a box, hand it to a pastor. Uh, If you're online, you can do that digitally through the app. Um, Another thing that we just started today and wanna make you aware of is all of our elders are gonna be wearing lanyards like this. Um, I know you know probably some of our elders but may not know who all of the elders are. Um, We're doing that because we wanna be visible. We wanna be visible because we care about you. And if, if you just need a chat, need somebody to pray over something, you wanna ask a question, you need counsel, please, please, even outside of the services, come grab one of us. That's why we're on campus. That's why we are wearing the lanyards. So grab an elder, 
We'll have pastors at the front you could pray with or talk to. But whatever God is speaking to you about today, I'm, I'm gonna pray um, now that God would lead us in a time of response. So let's pray together. Um, Father, we thank you that, first of all, you are the only true, righteous, and just judge. Father, as we look back on this last year, there's a good chance that everybody in this room has, has engaged in a dialogue somewhere that was not tempered with grace and humility and gratefulness. And so, Father, we want to acknowledge today together that vengeance is yours, justice is in your hands. And so, Father, what we need from you is by your spirit, we need to know what it looks like to engage in the injustices of our world as your representative. God, from a platform of humility, from a platform of those who have been forgiven, God. Father, we desire to be a light in the world around us. And for us this year, it's been a really difficult year to do that. Father, now we wanna call one another into a time of rejoicing. We wanna, we wanna do more than just sing songs. We want our hearts to rejoice in all that we have in Christ. As we wait in the not yet for the return of Jesus, I pray, Father, that you would instill our hearts with hope. You would infuse our, our lives with joy. Remind us of all that we have in Christ that we might rejoice. So, Father, thank you for your word this morning. We pray now your spirit would guide us as we respond. We pray all this in Christ's name.